0: Hello, and welcome to the Uncover-Up, with your hosts Lee Coonley, Elena Papianis, and Nathan Radke.
1: Hi everybody, uh, I'm Elena Papianis, welcome to the Uncover-Up. I'm here with Lee Coonley. Hi. Nathan Radke. Hello. As per usual. What are we I'm I'm the like stranger in this podcast today. I'm the I'm the audience member. I'm I know less about this than these two guys do. We didn't
2: even tell you what the no, podcast this is, was about. I'm just right? here for the
1: beer. <laughs> I'm just here to have a beer. For the Russian beer. For the Russian beer. <laughs> Which yeah, is Russian appropriate beer. today. Which is a clue, isn't y- it?
0: You know it's interesting because what Elena has is not enough information. Ah. But there are worse things than having not enough information. What I would say would be mm-hmm. worse than not having information is having bad information.
2: Nice cycle. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm God. so happy with that segue. <laughs> So we're talking about, and I think, Nathan, you came up with the best phrase to mm-hmm. uh, describe this, is weaponized information.
0: Is that right? Is Weaponized information. How information, false information, can basically be used by people in power to manipulate, to control populations.
2: Hmm. What I find so fascinating about this is that, to me, conspiracies always seem so subversive. Mm -hmm. It seems like there's this main story that explains what's apparently going on. And then there's a conspiracy theory that kind of disrupts that story. That's more
1: grassroots. Yeah, Yeah. and
2: seems sort of against power, uh, disrupting power. Getting an insight into what we're not supposed to know.
0: Yeah, I mm-hmm. think that's why people. One of the reasons why people enjoy conspiracy theories because, exactly as you two say, it is sort of this grassroots idea. That it's like this has come from the people, and mm-hmm. it's sticking it to mm-hmm. the to the man, to those right. fat cats in Washington mm-hmm. or wherever. Yeah. But the thing is, and this is something that uh, we've come across before, a lot of conspiracy theories are false. But some of them are deliberately spread. Like they are lies that are invented for the purpose of uh, controlling populations. And that's what we're going to spend, I think, maybe two podcasts on because this is a pretty Mm
1: -hmm.
0: important issue. So I think what we're going to do is we're going to... This one, because we have the Russian beer today, (laughs) and because the Russians are so good at this, like they have... Extraordinary tactics when it yeah. comes to this kind of thing, and of course we're seeing that now.
1: Yeah, well, with the well, with Mueller, Mueller's investigation, new indictments coming out all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what the latest one is. More are on Manafort now, right? Suddenly they reopened a couple, or they opened a few new. Gates. I've
2: lost track of how many charges they've laid against. Yeah, metaphor.
1: it's like twenty or thirty, and they opened a few more after. Five more after yeah. Gates pleaded guilty. Yep. So it sounds like he's probably going to have to. Something soon and then, of course, yeah. there was
0: the 12 Russian nationals who were charged. And they're, they're never going to be right. arrested. They're never going to go to trial. But the Symbolic. point of... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just to say, listen, something happened. Yeah. Something took place. Mm-hmm. This is 2018 for anybody who's listening Right. To I was just going to say,
2: maybe we should just connect the dots because I don't know who's listening when. But at the time of recording this podcast, we're in the midst of the Mueller investigation mm-hmm. in the United States into the possible Interference between uh, the Russian government, secret service, Russian actors of some sort, interfering in the uh, U.S. Yes. presidential election of 2016. Yeah, and it looks okay. like it happened.
1: It looks like it happened, and I and um, what I've learned recently is that it's actually closely connected to the Russian doping scandal from uh, well, Sochi specifically, but it goes beyond that. Because
0: Sochi to... was the last one. Yeah. Okay. So the last there. winter. Because Sochi
1: one. was when Putin really wanted to put on a big show. Right. Because that was in big, Russia. Yeah. So he wanted a big medal count. So usually they would stop getting giving their um, drugs or steroids or whatever to their athletes well before the game mm-hmm. uh, because they needed like a month to get out of their system. Mm-hmm. But he wanted these this medal count, this huge medal count, and they got it. And so that meant that um, athletes were being drugged. Like during huh. the game, so that's why they had to swap out urine and stuff. So, anyways, but then they got busted, they got busted, and, it was and a that's a big embarrassment. Part, yeah, huge embarrassment, and um, and penalties and punishments being waged against Russian athletes. But now, in response to that, uh, because Russia and Putin saw that as like a direct US kind of attack on them, this was part of their their motivation to then meddle in the election. And, well, that's interesting. Yeah, and mess things up.
0: And what makes that so fascinating, and this is something we've talked about before, because you cannot get away from it if you're talking about events in the second half of the 20th century and beyond, is that because of mutually assured destruction,
1: mm-hmm.
0: the Soviets and the Americans could not fight each other in direct ways. Right. And so they had to fight each other in these yeah. bizarre ways. And like Olympic right. competitions, oh, yeah, what's yeah, yeah. the away, space yeah. race, space totally. race. Yeah. who had the largest cannon, and, yeah. the spying <laughs> and the honeypots and everything. And so what makes this so interesting is this is a kind of warfare we're talking about today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a kind of warfare that the Russians call, uh, oh boy, how's your Russian accent? I
1: could maybe do it. Well, oh good, on. excellent. Okay, let's okay. see. Which one? one?
0: Oh, uh, is that an E? Oh boy, my Desinformatia. Handwriting is... That sounded great. Yeah. Desinformatia. Desinformatia. Yeah. And what that means is disinformation. Mm-hmm. And the first thing we should do is clarify our terms. There's a difference between disinformation and misinformation. Mm-hmm. Misinformation could be you're just genuinely incorrect about something. i just see. innocently right. you're just wrong. You have the wrong information. Disinformation or
1: Desinformatia.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. That is when you know that it's wrong, and you're deliberately spreading it for tactical or strategic purposes.
1: Okay, right. Is- the way they sorry interrupt also with what the Russians are often spreading, and they do this on Twitter even now, even after the latest shooting, is they don't necessarily even pick a side. They just want right. they just want disinformation every. They just want information everywhere. They just want it overloaded. They want people confused. They want people arguing. They just want uh, like a divisive environment.
0: And I think this is something that's going to come up a bunch in this podcast. It's not so much, exactly as Elena says, it's not so much that they're trying to push a particular position or truth. It's that they're trying to attack the very idea of truth and positions. Make all positions, like flatten things so that all positions, regardless of how nonsensical they might be, they're all equally nonsensical. You you tear down the very idea that there can be facts Mm -hmm. and truth
2: and reality. Which is a hell of a thing. Which
1: Trump also just bought into, too, and well, has been spreading as well. I mean, I don't know how to deliver I
2: feel to, like, but. and I don't know if we'll get to this, but I, I feel like Trump is one of the victims of yeah. these old KGB disinformation campaigns. Although I feel compelled somehow... To maybe just put in the caveat that this is not just about Russia. I mean, it's not no, only no, no, Russians no. who would no. spread a disinformation oh, campaign. Oh, no, of course not. We happen to... Uh, but they're very text. good at it. They yeah. are very good at it, and there right. does seem to be a a long track record going certainly into the Soviet Union, and some might even say into uh, Tsarist Russia, of destabilizing uh, the enemies of Russia through these disinformation campaigns. Yeah,
0: using weaponized theories. Uh, so maybe that's where we should start. Maybe let's go back in time. I'm going to go back a little bit uh, in time, and then I'm going to go way back in time. Okay. So we're going to go to uh, around World War II for a second. And that's when this term is coined. And I found this fascinating. Because this word, that desinformatsyat, uh,
1: Something like that. I'm not exactly sure where that (laughs) emphasis should be. If it's like desinformatia or I don't know what's the alternative. Matzia. Desinformatia.
0: Desinformatia. Yeah,
1: I don't know. know. There's many syllables in that word.
0: But one of the reasons you're having a hard time with the word is because it's made up. And it was made up, apparently, according to a defecting Romanian secret uh, police officer. Mm -hmm. It was made up by Stalin to sound like a French word. Because what he wanted people to think was that this, uh, the strategy of using disinformation to confuse people was actually being done by the French. Oh,
1: interesting.
0: So even the word desinformatia wow. is in itself an example of itself. <laughs> oh, wow. which I that's think very is, meta. Uh, that's, that's super really meta. meta. And I think we're going to get, uh, we're going to hit a lot of meta in this mm-hmm. particular episode. Okay, so a brief stopover with Stalin. Let's go further back. Let's go pre-Soviet. Okay. To the age of the Tsar. Turn of the 20th century.
2: And so this being Tsar Nicholas II. Tsar Nicholas
0: II. Okay. uh, The last Tsar. Yes. So far.
2: (laughs) Ha ha. Good point. Okay. We'll see.
0: (laughs) There's still time. And... Uh, Lee, I think this is one of those times where you will have a better grasp of the history than than I will, but this was a time when the the Russian royal family was in some serious trouble, like 1900, already the sort of the rumblings of of peasant revolution Mm -hmm. were starting to be felt in Tsarist Russia.
2: That's right, so I don't know how brief I can do this, but um, there's a number of things that are uh, robbing the... Russian czar and the uh, political system of political legitimacy. The economy isn't doing well. Uh, Russia is in is is losing a war. So there's the Russo-Japanese War that happens mm-hmm. at this time, and uh, the Russian uh, establishment drastically underestimated the uh, Japanese resistance and and kind of got their butts handed to them, which was not at all expected and. At the same, you know, there's all the kinds of uh, discontents you might expect in a highly rural agrarian society at the turn of the, you know, coming into the 20th century, not very industrialized, mm-hmm. but now making that very difficult transition to industrialization. But at
0: a time when a lot of the other
2: countries yeah, in Europe well, had, already, had yeah, done it, they're, they're super... They've they're, they're been
1: everything, even in warfare, like their guns were old school it was, everybody else it was devastating yeah. I'm,
2: I've heard accounts that in World War I uh, Russian soldiers at a certain time when just the armaments had run out were told things like go pick up a, one of the weapons from your dead comrades because right. there weren't enough to give them yeah.
0: so wait until a guy dies and then take his gun yeah.
2: exactly or there are so many dead anyway that you will have no problem just you know yeah. and yeah. I mean there's lots of them out there that's not the recipe for mm-hmm. political stability mm-hmm. right um uh, and there was such a huge gap, I would imagine, between the the
0: intense poverty that was happening amongst the Russian peasants, and then you had the royal family who, uh, and this is like my bumper sticker version of history, they were buying lots of Fabergé eggs. Yeah. Like in my head, that's it would what be I'm enraging,
1: saying. Right? Wouldn't it? Yeah. That's They're, like
0: the most ridiculous thing yeah, to buy. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I don't have food, and you have fake eggs that you can't
2: yeah. even eat. And. I think it's. I mean, I think one of the problems that bedevils some of these rulers in these tumultuous times is that they're looking backwards um, mm-hmm. to to think about how to solve the political problems, and looking back into a feudal czarist Russia was not going to solve the kind of social economic problems that were besetting Russia at the dawn of the twentieth century. And so the royal family, the elites, just didn't really make things better and instead try to get the population distracted with, and I'm being somewhat unfair, but, you know, with wars, with mm-hmm. um, pomp, with other things that really weren't, Addressing the fundamental problems they of say, poverty. Everyone,
0: of... look on our Fabergé eggs and their magnificence, <laughs> and feel full. Yes, mm-hmm. even if you haven't eaten today. So, well, yes. one of the ways, of course, you can control the population, hmm. and this, I think, gets us right back on track. Right is disinformation, hmm. and it's at this time in this place when one of history's most destructive and horrifying examples of disinformation comes out, because somewhere in around 1902 or 1903, a pamphlet emerges in Russia. And what this pamphlet claims to be is an accurate representation of a meeting of a bunch of elite Jewish elders who are plotting to control the world. Mm -hmm. And the way this pamphlet is written, it's like a a dialogue, basically. It's called The Protocols of the Elders of Zion, Mm -hmm. and it's probably one of the most infamous and reprinted pamphlets in the history of uh, the 20th century mm. what this pamphlet does is it's sort of I don't, you can't see, but you guys can see I'm using air quotes lots of air quotes lots of, I am air quoting like crazy <laughs> right now so this pamphlet exposes air quotes right this conspiracy uh-huh. which is is then explains all of the peasants' problems. It's like why are there troubles because there's this secret group of Jewish elites who are manipulating the economy mm-hmm. and they're manipulating the media and they're manipulating mm-hmm. politics and they're manipulating everything. In an attempt to control the entire world.
2: Right. This is a classic case
1: of scapegoating. I was just going to say that. Oh, sorry. Actually, no, I was just gonna, I just had the same thought. Okay. Like scapegoat was the word that I was just about to. Say.
0: And yeah. scapegoating yeah. is such an effective method. Yeah. It oh, appeals yeah. to that part of our brain that loves to feel anger. Yeah. And mm-hmm. loves to direct that anger. Yeah, for sure. Like it's it's actually hard to get human beings to massacre other human beings. Surprisingly hard. Hmm. Uh, they found this in World War One. They would You could train a soldier to shoot perfectly, but mm-hmm. he might not shoot another human being. But if you scapegoat well enough, if you capture those feelings people have of uncertainty and fear and confusion and anger, and you can then give Targeted. them a target... Yeah, yeah, exactly, and yeah. say, there's your target. yeah, And transfer all of those terrible feelings to that group and blame them for all, for all of your problems, mm-hmm. then you can do something horrifyingly remarkable you can get humans to perform massacres and genocide Mm -hmm. there's never been a genocide without scapegoating
2: and maybe also it keeps you safe if you're the person in power oh for sure right i mean not just allowing us to to create the conditions for massacres and genocides and wars but maybe just more simply if it's this group of people who are causing your ills, then it's not the leaders who are actually yeah. in charge of the economy, the politics, the social structure. Yeah. Right. and it
1: might give even those who are like those just in the populace, um, I don't know if it's agency is the right word, but then they mm-hmm. feel like, because they're powerless towards their, their leader, right? right? Like they can't actually, no matter how much they resent or hate or whatever the discontent is there, they can't really do anything until it's revolution, Right. So it gives something maybe even more tangible to their hate that they can actually direct it towards.
0: Oh, for sure. And if, as the leader, you find a group that you consider dangerous Mm -hmm. to you as a leader, Mm -hmm. then there's your target. And this was, of course, the case. Because one of the groups that the uh, royal family considered most dangerous were uh, Russian Jews who they were considered to be more prone to revolutionary ideas hmm. and more prone to want to overthrow the royal family. Now, something I should point out about the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, let's get into the into sort of the nuts and bolts of it. This is what we're able to figure out. It doesn't show up anywhere in its form as the Protocols of the Elders of Zion earlier than
1: 1902.
0: Hmm. Uh, however, what we're able to figure out is it seems to have been assembled by, and I say assembled rather than written for specific reasons, it was assembled by a uh, a journalist slash spy named uh, Golovinsky. And uh, Golovinsky was being directed by the head of Okhrana which is the Tsarist Secret Service, and the purpose of it is to try to disable the revolutionary movement. And the reason that I say the Protocols of the Elders of Zion were assembled is because we have a lot of reasons to believe that it is a plagiarized work. Even though it's arguing that it is the literal truth of an actual meeting, there's lots of reasons to think that isn't true. So, What we're going to do now is, Elena, Mm -hmm. I'm going to uh, ask you to read something that is taken word for word from the English translation of the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. Okay, Okay. I can
1: read. Okay. Um, Okay, these newspapers, like the Indian god Vishnu, will be possessed of hundreds of hands, each of which will be feeling the pulse of varying public opinion.
0: Okay, so there's just one line, or a few lines from the Protocols of the Elders of Zion talking about how this group of Jewish elites control all of the media, and the reason they control the media is so that they can shape public opinion right. and control the masses. Okay, now, Lee, I want you to read this passage.
2: Okay. Like the god Vishnu, my press will have a hundred arms, and these arms will give their hands to all the different shades of opinion throughout the country. Okay, so
0: what do you notice about those two passages?
2: S- Similar. Yeah. yeah. Just like phrased. super similar. Yeah. yeah,
0: they're basically the same, slightly reworded. Well, the passage yes. that Elena read was from the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, comes out in 1902. The passage that Lee read was from a book called The Dialogue in Hell between Machiavelli and Montesquieu, written by a Frenchman named Maurice Jolie. Now, the one that Lee read was written 50 years earlier hmm. in France. It had nothing to do with some secret Jewish conspiracy. Yeah. It was from a book that was basically a satirical work making fun of Napoleon III. <laughs> hmm. And so we could go through the entire protocols and we could find places that were stolen largely from that book or from other books. Right. Like this wasn't something that was written. Yeah. This was something that Napoleon's, was cut and yeah. pasted.
2: Yeah. It really feels like that. I mean, the three of us in our day jobs our uh, yeah. teachers. I was just going
1: to say, this would not make it through the same design. This would not no, make
2: no, it. Because this, we, yeah. we, yeah. this is what I... The worst way to cheat is to take a Wikipedia article, copy and paste it, and then change a couple of
0: words. And change a couple of words using a thesaurus. Right. And then be like, I think I'm (laughs) covered.
2: That seems a lot like what has happened here.
0: Yeah, and that seems to be what the Protocols of the Elders of Zion is. It's a plagiarized work. Passing itself off as true, but it is disinformation. Interestingly, the Tsar himself, Tsar Nikolai II, uh, when he found out about this, reportedly said... That the protocol should be confiscated. That he well his the whole quote is the protocol should be confiscated. A good cause cannot be defended by dirty means. So it wasn't so much the anti-Semitism he had a problem with. It was the fact that it wasn't true. So he liked the fact that the the Jewish Russian Mm -hmm. population was being attacked by this, but he had an issue with the fact that this was faked. Right. But regardless of what uh, the Tsar thought about it, it was widely widely sent out in russia it contributed to the programs that were having uh, that were having such a horrifying effect in russia at that time when there was uh, dozens of jewish people who were murdered who were who were driven from their homes and this is another i say interesting in that way that we have become jaded mm, and yeah, i think a little dead inside yeah, maybe yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's horrifying but we find it interesting cuz we're dead inside it takes on a bit of a life of its own mm-hmm. like its original purpose ultimately fails because then of course there is a revolution and the entire royal family, including mm-hmm. Anastasia, is murdered. Uh, regardless of what happens in Disney films. But <laughs> well the royal family is destroyed, the protocols survive because information is a lot yeah. hardier than individuals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it starts to spread around the world and get translated into different yeah, and languages. But it's
1: not connected to anyone in particular. Like it's not so it's just floating independently as an idea. Yeah. As ideas, right? It's not directly connected in some way to the family that they then make the connection oh let's destroy that too, since it was connected it's it's on its own now it's on yeah, its own it's its own thing it's free yeah. floating yeah
0: and one of the places it floats to is the United States of America right. where uh because anti-semitism in the 1920s in the United States was was fairly widespread yeah. people like Henry Ford the car guy uh he thinks this is just the best he uh is uh not a fan of communism or trade unionism,
1: mm-hmm.
0: or lots of things. And <laughs> he he uh, he is consi- uh, he considers the Jewish population of America to be a threat because he thinks that perhaps they're behind communism in the States or trade unionism and it's going to hurt his factories. Mm-hmm. So he prints off half a million copies uh, in English of the Protocols of wow. the Elders of Zion, and he starts distributing it in the oh. United States. Uh, this is 1920, 1922. Uh, he also, at this point... Uh, is publishing a, an anti-Semitic newspaper. Now, in 1921, the New York Times prints an article in which uh, they basically do what we did and they compare the protocols to mm-hmm. earlier works and they mm-hmm. say, well, look, this is clearly a rip-off. This right. is clearly a forgery. But it's it's always so easy for people to ignore information that disagrees with their own prejudices. Yeah, sure. And so it's years and years before Henry Ford. Well, it's 1927 before he does. He doesn't take responsibility for what he did, but he's like, okay, I'll I'll shut down the newspaper at least. Mm -hmm. So that's happening in the states. And of course, I think you can imagine one of the other countries that the protocols of the Elders of Zion sort of goes to and starts Mm -hmm. to spread in another place where anti-Semitism is going to sort of rear its head in this mechanized, terrible way. Germany is Germany. And so it it shows up in Germany. In 1922, there is a Jewish politician named Walter Ratnau. And he's kind of an interesting guy. Uh, He writes a book in which he is making the argument that there's like, there's too much wealth going to smaller and smaller groups of people. Smaller and smaller groups of people are having too much influence. He calls them the 300. It's like just sort of a a number that he picks to demonstrate that small groups of people are having too much influence. Well, people read this, and because he's Jewish, and because the Protocols of the Elders of Zion is really starting to to gain traction in Germany, people put this all together, and they say, "Aha, you're one of the 300," and he is assassinated wow. by some Germans who have read the Protocols of the Elders of Zion and think that they are striking back against this conspiracy. Oh
2: my goodness!
0: Those uh, assassins who kill Ratnow are uh, they are put to death with the death penalty. Uh, but their reputations, air quotes are coming back out again, their reputations are sort of revived because uh, a leader is about to come into power in Germany in the 30s who is going to be very sympathetic to people who are assassinating Jewish Mm -hmm. uh, politicians. Mm -hmm. Because, of course, one of the people who is, I think it's safe to say, fairly highly influenced by the Protocols of the Elders of Zion is...
1: Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler. Are we, Hitler. Are we ever going to have a podcast where we don't talk about Hitler, do you think? It comes up a lot. <laughs> I mean, Hitler and mind Trump, you, though. we <laughs> didn't talk about him when we talked about Marilyn Monroe, I don't think. I think Unless we did. Unless when we talked about JFK. <laughs> I
0: think we around. did because, did we? Be, not Hitler, but Nazis. Oh, Nazis. Because okay. remember JFK, one of his honeypots. Oh, oh yes. yes. Oh, right. Damn it.
1: Wow. It's the thread that ties it all together. Yeah.
0: Right. right. So uh, here's a quote from Hitler from Mein Kampf. I'm going to need Lee's help. Okay. Uh, the word Zeitung? Zeitung. Thank you. Is a newspaper. Ah, okay. So there was a newspaper called the Frankfurter Zeitung.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: and at the time, this would have been the, like the 1920s and 30s, it was a fairly left-leaning newspaper. Mm-hmm. And so part of what Hitler would have called the uh, Lügenpresse. Right, the lying press. The lying press. Mm-hmm. The, the fake news. Wow. We've heard that That's before, so right? terrifying. Yeah. Isn't it? So in Mein Kampf, Hitler says... Uh, and this is sort of paraphrasing and translated, obviously. Uh, according to the Frankfurter Zeitung, this left-leaning newspaper that Hitler would have hated, according to the Frankfurter Zeitung, the protocols are based on a forgery. They moan this every week, which is the best proof that they are, in fact, authentic. So he's oh. saying that because this left-leaning newspaper is right. saying yeah. that the protocols are fake, yeah,
1: you're obviously wrong.
0: they must be real. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he obviously takes the protocols of the Elders of Zion and runs with them,
1: Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and one of history's greatest catastrophes unfolds.
2: My goodness. So if I can just summarize briefly to where we've gotten to, what has happened is uh, under Tsar Nicholas II at the turn of the last century, so into the 20th century, we have the Russian Secret Service creating a forgery which um, identifies an elite cabal of Jewish conspirators as being sort of uh, bent on taking over the world.
0: Through the media, through banking, yeah. through the economy, through everything.
2: And uh, even though the Tsar and probably his Secret Service establishment is destroyed uh, in the Russian Revolution. Although I think,
0: because history is ridiculous, I think a lot of his Secret Service guys eventually work their way into that's being true. In, is, the, in the Cheka. Yeah, the Secret that's Secret actually Service not so the...
2: unusual. But nonetheless, the idea uh, outlives the Tsar <laughs> and history. Oh yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. And out, it outlives Russia, and and, and yeah, spreads you know, like, into. I mean, this is this really is articulates kind of the typical tropes around a the Jewish the and here are my yeah, quotes, yeah, yeah. the quote Jewish conspiracy right yeah. banking mm-hmm. media yeah. world domination communism, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, and then this eventually even informs Hitler and his uh, sort of understanding about Jews and uh, Judaism in Europe and in the world. My goodness. I mean, that really is a weaponized idea. Yeah,
0: Yeah, that's a good summary. But I think that what makes it even more astonishing is that now, over 100 years later, this is still something which circulates. There is a bookstore not too far from where we're recording this Which still sells the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. Really? Yeah. And it sells it not as this important text that needs to be studied in its proper context, but no, this is the the truth. It's it's being presented as truth at this bookstore. So
1: with no context at all. It's just, wow.
0: Just here's the thing that you can keep, so it, it just keeps spreading. But because ideas are viruses in a sense, one of the things that viruses do is mutate. And... There's a fascinating mutation of the Protocols of the the Elders of Zion by David Icke. David Icke, a former uh, British footballer, you might know him as the uh, guy behind the Reptilian Conspiracy. Right, I thought there was a contemporary
2: conspiracy. So so
0: so his version is that the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, all of the stuff about uh, Jewish people, that's just like a... That's a smokescreen. It's really... About shape shifting reptiles. Wow. And I'm I, speechless. Yeah, yeah I and I do. think I think we all need a a second, yeah. so we'll take a break. Yeah. And when okay. we come back, okay. we'll look at a more modern example of this. Okay. Good break. Good break, guys.
2: Uh, So, Nathan provided a really scary and troubling example from, what, really, a hundred years ago, over a hundred years ago, and it's still with us today. And still kicking. I still see those, precisely those tropes still circling around. I wanted to uh, bring in another, uh, also... From Russia. This time it actually comes from the Soviet Union.
0: And, and we should say that even though we're doing Russia today, yes. we'll do the FBI next time. That's right.
2: There is There are more culpable players here than mm. just the, the Russians. We're just enjoying the Russian name so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's another disinformation campaign that I was um, really struck by. Uh, have you either of you ever heard of the idea that the CIA caused AIDS?
0: Oh, sure. Mm. Uh, my students talk about it, and I believe that it has worked its way into Kanye lyrics.
1: Really? I'm, really? I'm pretty sure. Wow.
0: I'm going to look You're gonna into find that. that okay. I'm going to look into that. You guys keep going. Piece it in here. Yeah, I'm, keep going. Yeah. I'm, I'm going for it.
2: Well, uh, and we did a podcast on the CIA's possible involvement with smuggling cocaine. So that doesn't sound so unreasonable. And. W- there have been CIA projects involved with uh, weaponizing biological agents. Um, I know Nathan, you know about Plum Island. Yep. Where there's potentially, we want, want to tell us a little, just a quick, two-second summary of what might have happened. Quick second Plum
0: summary: Plum Island was a place where they were officially studying. Um, Uh, like diseases that affect livestock. Unofficially, there may have been some uh, bioweapons research going on. And much more unofficially and more speculatively, it's possible um, that maybe the spread of Lyme disease was perhaps caused by some of the experiments they were doing on Plum Island. But I'm not going to say that that's for sure, but there is some evidence for it.
2: Now what I think is interesting about that is that you've got those elements of a story there where you hear that the CIA might have been at the root of causing the AIDS, HIV epidemic. Mm-hmm. And you think, well, that sounds kind of like, believable. Yeah, plausible in some way. Like, given the historical
0: yeah. evidence, also... Well, I mean, look at something like the Tuskegee syphilis experiment. Exactly. Like, that was 100% real.
2: Mm-hmm. And maybe we just have to just briefly note what that was.
0: Uh, That was an experiment where uh, the government funded uh, doctors for about 40 years to find African-American males who had syphilis, pretend they were treating them, but actually were allowing the disease to run its course, even though they had a cure for it, because they were just curious about what it would do to an African-American body. Right. Completely... Wildly unacceptable.
2: Using people as experiments for a biological agent. Mm -hmm. Sure. What's going to happen? And we're not going to bother treating you. And again, of course, if if you know that these things are real, it does not seem so far fetched Mm -hmm. that the CIA might be at the root of another epidemic. Uh, Can I interrupt with a quick Kanye update? Okay.
0: Okay. In Rolling Stone, uh, apparently he has a song called "Heard Him Say," in which he says, I know the government administered AIDS. When he was asked, do you believe that? The rapper said, yes, my parents taught me that AIDS was a man-made disease designed to get rid of the undesirable people. So yes, Kanye is on board with the theory that HIV was caused deliberately by the American government. So where did that idea come from? Mm
2: -hmm. Right. That idea uh, came from the Soviet Intelligence Service, the KGB, in the 1980s. It has been revealed by their own operatives, and I'm here following a uh, historian, uh, Thomas Bogart, and I'm specifically, uh, you can find uh, this article yourself on the um, CIA website, Soviet Bloc, this is the, sorry, the title of the article, Soviet Bloc Intelligence and its AIDS Disinformation Campaign. And um, Soviet agents, as I said, themselves and others have come out and have done a really good job of documenting how the KGB was at the origin of this story. So basically, uh, the idea is the KGB spread starts in the 1980s to spread the rumor, the lie, that this new disease that is actually out there, that people are starting to see, um, they don't yet have a name for it at the time when they're just noticing the first deaths, um, and of course, nobody is exactly sure of what's happening and why it's happening. It's hitting certain communities more than others, um, and the the uh, KGB begins a disinformation campaign, stating that this is being deliberately spread by the CIA. Um, and we can I'll, I'll, I'll talk about how that disinformation campaign actually got going and and. Spread these ideas because I think that's really interesting in and of itself. So the question, though, is also of course, why would they bother? Mm-hmm. What is the point?
0: Yeah. What advantage is there? What to advantage? As Dr. Like Phil would say, what are they
1: getting out
0: of it? Right. Huh. Exactly. <laughs>
2: what are they getting out of it? I Wise
0: that. man that Dr. <laughs> Phil. <laughs> Never actually
2: seen the show. Um, um, of course, Nathan though began by um, suggesting some reasons that you know instead of actually having to kill an enemy it would be a lot cheaper and a lot more effective. And as your, uh, Nathan, your protocols of the Elders of Zion showed, potentially a lot more effective to just convince people. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, actually, uh, Elena, you have a quote from...
1: Uh, Dmitry Kis- Kisiliev, Russian news anchor and director of Sputnik. He said, If we do propaganda, then you do propaganda too. Today it is much more costly to kill one enemy soldier than during World War One or World War Two or the Middle Ages. If you can persuade a person, you don't have to kill him.
0: Somewhere moose and squirrel are shivering.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that is a reference very few people will
0: get. Yeah, but somebody listening <laughs> to this is going to be like, finally, so, finally somebody's talking about rock and bowling. But um, it's such an interesting idea. It's like, this is a weapon, but it's a cheaper weapon, in some ways yeah. a more effective weapon. Yeah. yeah. But, um, I've, I've got sorry. a quote from uh, General Valery Gerasimov uh, Chief of the General Staff of Russian Armed Forces in 2013 and he said, the role of non-military means of achieving political and strategic goals has grown and in many cases they have exceeded the power of force of weapons in their effectiveness Right, yeah. and that's the kind of thing that he's talking about yeah. he's talking about,
2: for example disinformatia. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm getting better at that yeah. I feel like, in a way this functions like the carpet bombing um, of certain, you know, there was the carpet bombing of Cambodia, where the bombs are still going off today.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, people yeah, are still yeah, yeah, being yeah. killed totally.
2: by totally. The, this, this massive, and yeah. I feel like these disinformation campaigns, they just don't stop working. You know, yeah. they go yeah. out into the world. There's little
1: sleepers everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And
2: then they just, they start, they start, you know, having effect again. But, and yet, I think it's worth still asking, but... Okay, I mean, in a way, yes, there was the Cold War. They couldn't even, fight directly. They couldn't fight directly. But I feel like they're still... Like, what are they really getting out of mm. this? So I, I, was think, I tried to think about this. And of course, um, uh, the historian I'm following here, Thomas Bogart, in his article, does lay out a couple of reasons for specifically why uh, this disinformation campaign um, was put out there. But I think just generally... I think if you can get a society to start questioning itself, to start mm-hmm. becoming very unsure about its own institutions, um, its own government, whether they're trustworthy or not, if, if, if that's happening to uh, a country that I am uh, not allied with, that, that I have some kind of tension with, mm then that benefits me.
1: Totally. It distracts from the external enemy because now there's all these internal enemies and arguing going
2: on exactly. amongst them.
1: Yeah. And of you know, course... You, you
0: can find divisions within a country and sort of amplify those divisions and yeah. get people turned against each other. Yeah. And, sort and you're of, distracted. Yeah, and you're totally distracted. Yeah. And then right. you can promote kind of schisms. And the next thing you know, like the, the you don't even have to
2: worry about that country as an enemy anymore mm-hmm. because that country has become its own enemy. Yeah. And I'm going to make this connection later, but this is eerily... Uh, this seems a lot like what's happening right now, uh, Elena. You were talking about the school shooting, and mm-hmm. um, I was following some really nice reporting done uh, by NPR, where uh, some of their uh, team have have investigated um, the, um, and I think it's this follows from Mueller in terms of who these uh, Russian agents are. And how they have started again with the shooting now using Facebook and
1: Twitter and Twitter and all these Twitter these bots that were just sending out stuff on both sides and exactly and the
2: idea was not to sway it in one direction or another but just to heighten
1: the intensity the
2: partisan nature of it such that there is a division within the American uh, public such that people start seeing themselves as fundamentally no longer part of one community
1: and that it's questioning the. The whole event itself now yeah. there's even yeah. conspiracies around saying oh well, actually these these students are actors right. don't they're not legitimate yeah this isn't real
0: and you wonder like how in the world can that happen oh, how in, but but once the idea of truth has been successfully attacked mm-hmm. yeah. then like mm-hmm. it's all up for grabs like everything can be faked everything can be an illusion everything yeah. can be a lie
2: So going then... So this is exactly what I feel like Operation Infection was. Now, that's why I attempted a Russian accent. (laughs) That was pretty good. Terrible at accents. You just sound angrier when you say that. (laughs) So what were the
0: nuts and bolts of this one? Like, how did this one spread? How did they get this one out there?
2: So what happened was uh, there was a change in the international relations between the uh, Americans and the Soviet Union in the early 80s. And we can... Attribute that to various causes. Maybe it was the invasion of Afghanistan by the Soviet Mm -hmm. Union, maybe it was the election of a more hardline Republican president in Ronald Reagan.
0: He was very hardline.
2: Maybe it was a combination of that Mm -hmm. and other factors. Either way, relations with the Soviet Union in the early 80s start to turn a little more sour. Which,
0: Which is why my childhood was spent being terrified of nuclear war.
2: That's right. Yeah, Exactly. And in this, it, uh, Operation Infección is seen uh, by this historian and others retrospectively as a way of uh, sort of attacking the United States in turn. Uh, the idea was to basically have Americans become suspicious of their own security and intelligence apparatus.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And that's, that's a pretty, actually, devastating effect if you can manage that to have people no longer believe in the very people
1: this is like i just hear when you're saying this i'm like trump did that too like my brain is just like trump is trying to delegitimize the fbi and all the intelligence agencies too in the u.s it's just like so the parallels are just i feel and
2: I, i i i i mean i'm saying I don't have evidence for this, but I, I really feel as though Trump is a natural outgrowth yeah. of these disinformation campaigns yeah. of the set of the 80s. Yeah.
1: Um,
2: he's sort of bought into it.
1: Yeah.
2: But I have to admit that uh, in one way or another, I've bought into a, a, a couple of them as well. I will I'll sure. talk about them mm-hmm. later. But, so to, to your point, Nathan, how did this then actually get going? So what happens is there is an article that's published in an English-language newspaper in India on the 17th of July, 1983. <laughs> and there, accordingly, according to this historian that I've been following, there are a lot not of... Not actually c- following, right? Just not following. following on Twitter. Around. Yeah, 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 I have okay. read his stuff, okay. and I'm like, this okay. makes sense. I just want to
1: make that clear for the listeners. Okay, yeah. thank you.
0: Lee isn't stalking historians. <laughs>
2: not stalking him. I don't have a Twitter account. Um, okay. Okay. Uh, I am using his information, Thomas Bogart, and, and relying on, on him to sort of uh, clarify my own ideas about this. According to Bogart, there are clear indices that this was a KGB story. There was a plant, basically. First of all, it was an anonymous uh, article. Then it cites sources that Americans themselves would never cite, but that would be precisely the kind of sources that if you were uh, outside of the United States trying to figure out what was going on inside the United States, you would rely on them. Okay, there's all this kind of stuff. So Mm -hmm.
0: it's the equivalent of somebody being like, I enjoy the baseball. Yes, exactly. It it seems a bit, it's
2: sort of there, but it's a bit off. That's right, that's right. Mm -hmm. Um, There's other indications that this might not have you know, that this was probably a kind of a KGB article that was um, just printed in this in this um, newspaper. In it, it suggests that, um, th- so there's apparently a place called Fort Derrick in Maryland, uh, United States, which was, and this is not a conspiracy, you can find this out on Wikipedia, it was uh, the center of the biological weapons program in the United States. Mm. Sure. Now, um, Nixon puts a stop to that. He says, we are not going to do biological uh, weapons research anymore. And so that facility... Surprisingly
0: are... moral for yeah. Richard Nixon. That's a... Wow.
2: <laughs> well...
1: I
0: don't normally... It must have been another reason. It
2: yeah, exactly. Little... We'll yeah. have to investigate yeah. that as its own conspiracy. Mm-hmm. But um, the idea being that at Fort Derrick, um, uh, the CIA also invents AIDS, or their scientists invent AIDS. And the article further suggests that, isn't it curious? And this is where I think it's quite interesting to, to follow the sort of um, spy craft, the, the actual way of generating disinformation. They focus on actually occurring events in the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There is a disease. It's right. really there. It seems to be spreading from military bases, American military bases. Now that's not the only place, but of course, America was one of the epicenters of this disease, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and of course it would that would make sense then if that is the case that then American servicemen infected with the disease yeah. might be bringing this out and yeah. then mm-hmm. and so but the article suggests that that very real phenomena is attributable to the fact that this is deliberate right. Mm-hmm. Um, that article sort of goes unnoticed. I mean, it's just in a newspaper. And then it gets picked up again um, in 1985 by a man named uh, Valentin Zapovaloy, I think. I don't know. And he writes another article. we are, we
0: are struggling with names.
2: We are. Again. I'm sorry. I, sh- I should have practiced that a lot. Um, we, and he writes then another article in, in uh, 1985, The Panic in the West, really reiterating a lot of these core claims. And again, what it basically says is that the CIA created this this biological weapon and is deliberately spreading it uh, across the world. And so people are being infected by it. Now, that's sort of just a thing that's happening. And recently, I've been learning a little bit more through the Mueller investigation and what's recently been going on, that apparently the way and i'm just relying on other sources here but apparently the way that these campaigns work is a lot of information is thrown out and some of it gets picked up and some of it Mm -hmm. doesn't and the stuff that gets picked up you kind of roll with that and the stuff that dies well fine it dies
0: it's almost like uh, looking at evolution yeah looking at which animals are successfully adapted to the environment and they reproduce but in this case it's Rather than reproducing, it's being passed on. Yeah, like that's, that's right. how an idea reproduces. Yeah. Is people pass it on.
2: So the last, I guess, actor in this, um, and this is inter- this was got me really interested because I I've done actually some of my own research on uh, the history of East Germany. So East Germany before 1989 as probably everybody knows was part of the Soviet. Uh, territories, I guess. It was a satellite state, in a sense. It was certainly allied with the Soviet Union. Well, they sort of had their own thing going on. They had their own thing going on, but only because the Soviet Union was there. Mm -hmm. Anyway, there's a guy named, there's a doctor, like a a researcher, a a biological researcher with a PhD named, uh, I'll give you the English uh, version of it, Jacob Siegel, Um, Jakob Segal is how a German would say it Uh Jakob Segal but Jacob Siegel Um, and he is at the Humboldt University which is a university in Berlin but in the east side and uh, he is an agent for the east German security apparatus, basically east German KGB, known as the Stasi, known as the officially they're called the MFS but Mm -hmm. unofficially they're called the Stasi and he, he works for them And he picks up this idea that uh, CIA and AIDS are linked. And, of course, he's a biological researcher, so he brings a lot Mm -hmm. of cred to these arguments. I mean, there's one thing when it's a newspaper article. It's another thing when it's a researcher at a university. He's got some letters after his name. Exactly. Now, he was clearly an agent, um, but... Even even after the fall of East Germany, he writes in 1992, AIDS, Its Nature and Origin, which is a 47-page report that basically identifies the CIA as being um, the root of... Uh, the infection, wow. and tries to battle against uh, the what was then the current theory. I, I have to admit, I don't know what the current theory is today in 2018 when we're recording this. In 1992, the theory was of a simian origin. Yeah, that it, is it transferred
0: from, and because any disease that makes that leap from one species to another, right. like rabies or swine flu, they tend to be very destructive
2: mm-hmm. because the, the animal that jumps to doesn't tend to have much of a resistance to it. Right. So they spend a lot of time refuting that and then basically suggesting, well, it's got to be the CIA, um, especially given you know the way that the disease spreads and is, uh, its origin in the United States, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera.
0: You know what's interesting is that probably one of the things that helps a theory like this circulate and survive is if there's enough truth for it to sort of hang mm-hmm. on to totally. that it can like carry its yeah. lies by hanging on to a bit of the truth. Yeah. That's right. You and and the truth is, in the early 1980s, the Reagan administration ignored the AIDS crisis. Right. Sure. Like, it, it is horrifying when you go back and look at old press conferences and things like that, and they were asked, it's like, oh, well, what about this? And they were, like, basically laughing mm-hmm. at the idea because of the groups that were being That's infected right. yeah. by AIDS That's at the right. time. Yeah. These were groups that were not really that important to the American administration. Yeah. So, for example, uh, homosexuals, the African-American population. This is something that we came across before with the uh, conspiracy that the CIA deliberately spread crack. Right. It's like, eventually we decided that wasn't true, but there was sort of an aspect of truth in that yeah.
2: the American government didn't care about certain right. communities and allowed them to be destroyed. And if I may just add my own quote here from this article that I've been citing so much, Um, Bogart uh, makes exactly your point Nathan in this article he says the marginalization of homosexuals and the long history of oppression and discrimination of blacks made these groups inherently suspicious of governmental institutions yeah justifiably so Right, and then of course he goes on to talk about the Tuskegee syphilis experiment Mm -hmm. and so actually who is the artist you cited earlier? The artist? Yeah, the the rapper. Oh, Kanye! <laughs> oh
1: Kanye. my goodness, the artist! We we're like, there's right, What's going uh, on here?
0: Somewhere, Kanye yeah. is very pleased. <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: That that Lee just referred to him yeah. as, and I in my head I was capitalized the artist. The
2: artist, I, yeah. I trying <laughs> to be appropriate about <laughs> it. Um, <laughs> anyway, I mean, but, he is an artist. Yeah. The, he yeah. is a genius. But guy. I think that there are reasons where why this would get picked up by certain marginalized groups. Yeah. yeah. Right.
0: Where you're For like. Sure. They have yeah. good reason to be suspicious of power. Yeah. Exactly,
2: and um, there again, as we've said so often, there are real historical instances where we know that um, th- there's just been really awful things that have been done. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, and this is just such. This idea has outlived the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. It has outlived um, this uh, Jakob Segal guy uh, who really popularized it. And it's the kind of thing that my students come to me. Yeah, totally. For sure. As a kind of very straightforward, kind of obvious idea.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, And now, of course, it is being spread by the artist known as Mm Konye.
2: Right. I am shocked, though, also by the. Contemporary resonances with, with Trump and with also just with the continuation of this disinformation campaign.
0: But, but you said something really interesting I don't want to pick up on. You said that you have also been taken in by yes. cities. Yes.
2: So, uh, again, sort of looking now um, at the last two years of reporting, What apparently uh, one of the disinformation campaigns by, and, and we have to be careful here because we don't know if this is orchestrated by the Russian state. Mm-hmm. If these are state actors mm-hmm. who are somehow loosely affiliated with the state, this right. is all unclear and certainly I not for I do, though, too. feel
1: like not much goes on without Putin knowing.
2: This there. is true. But
1: yeah, you know, you, we don't know.
2: And that. if yeah. Elena's not with us next podcast, know yeah. <laughs> yeah, why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> tell everyone, tell my story.
1: Um, <laughs>
0: we're gonna bleep that part yeah. out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lee's been poisoned. Yeah. <laughs> oh,
2: immediately. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> Sorry, what so was your last point? There was radiation in that beer.
2: No. Um, where I got taken in, I don't really want to say I was taken in, but um, because, again, these things do live on certain truths. Yeah,
1: but it gave you, like, pause. You considered it more I like, considered
2: yeah. it because the source was Russian. So um, when I was... Uh, okay, so just very briefly, my background is political theory and political science. I teach that stuff, and... and uh, so the election of 2016 was important. It was a kind of event that I was paying attention mm-hmm. to. And if I'm going to be very honest, I showed up to election day at home with, you know, popcorn and chips ready for a party. Yeah, I was thinking I know, this was going to be, oh. this was going to be a route.
0: I did not do that. I, <laughs> I went the other way. I dressed well, all in
2: black. You knew it was, was coming. I was my head. You were one of the few people who knew it was coming. I, I will admit that Nathan called, really? it. Yeah. called it. Did you really?
1: did you call it? Really? Well,
2: my
0: pessimism yeah. makes me correct
2: a lot of yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That so that yeah. after, the, after the shocking loss of Hillary and the win of Donald Trump, both of them absolutely unexpected by basically anybody in the biz, totally. including Any the Obama posters. administration, yeah. including yeah. Hillary Clinton, yeah. you know, the top people in the biz. Possibly including the Trump, Trump administration. Yeah, I'm pretty absolutely. sure, given yep. the look on his face when he came out mm-hmm. uh, to meet the nation after learning he was president. Nonetheless, all of us tried to make sense of this, you know, after the fact. Yeah. How come we got this,
1: yeah. not
2: just why did he win, but why did we get this so wrong? What was it that we were missing mm-hmm. in our analysis that meant that we just didn't see this very obvious thing coming? Okay, so one of the, uh, one of the things that made sense to me was that among the African-American community, you had lower turnout. Well, why did you have lower turnout? Okay, so uh, I heard a very compelling report where uh, people were being interviewed, uh, black Americans were being interviewed who had not voted, were being interviewed, and they were being asked why. Why didn't you vote? And some people said things like, look, um, I suffered greatly under this 3 strikes you are out stuff that um, uh, President Clinton, Bill Clinton, uh, uh, really... Uh, pushed through in the 90s and apparently Hillary Clinton was really on board with all of this. Oh, sure. I mean,
0: she'd been, uh, Bill Clinton had been talking about like the super predator idea that the sort of idea that there was these like super criminals that were stalking the
2: cities. and. Exactly. Now, it turns out though that her, that all of this or this emphasis, this kind was really stoked by uh, foreign agents. That this kind of like, hey, remember that Hillary Clinton was really for this three strikes you out stuff? Was actually stuff that was being imported into the United States. Now, I don't want to overdo it. Obviously, this was a real thing that happened in the United States, and obviously, there were people who were really upset about it, not least of those, those people who ended up in, you know, terrible prison conditions for mm. a really minor offense. And nonetheless, from the reporting that I heard was that this was actually a plant. This story was actually a plant that, and again, just the like with the school plants. shootings yeah. and stuff, it was really meant to yeah. anger people and divide people where... If you are a Trump voter and I'm a Clinton voter, or yet you're a Trump voter, uh, I'm a Clinton voter, and Nathan's not either of that, we just can't talk to each other anymore. Mm -hmm. Because we are so, it's so antagonistic.
1: And actually, it's easier to get someone to not do something than to do something. So if you're spreading a a story that's like, don't vote for her, that's Mm -hmm. easy. Yeah, that appeals to my inertia. Yeah, I'm already already not doing that, so that's great. But it's much harder to influence the other way and to yeah. like get you know, move in that direction.
0: Another example of one that maybe we've all bought into is that a lot of JFK assassination theories were spread by the KGB. Hmm. And
1: uh, I would sense. yeah, and yeah, I would
0: say that the yeah. JFK assassination conspiracies, that's one that we probably take pretty seriously as a fairly legitimate conspiracy. Mm-hmm. But there's always a possibility that some of those conspiracies that perhaps we believe Are just examples of weaponized theories that have been planted by intelligence agencies. Man,
1: they just love messing with our heads in North America, eh? Yeah. Russians? We've
0: got
2: messable heads.
1: Messing with
2: them. Oh, those Russians. Is there a takeaway for you from this? Okay, well, let me tell you what mine yeah, is. Please. Okay, is that, yeah. yeah that shocked side I, I, I just felt
1: deep pessimism momentarily, and I didn't know what to do. You can't see. You can't see. Maybe like, we should do videos
0: instead of yeah, podcasts, but Elena hung. just looked so sad. I, slouched,
1: <laughs> I like, slouched over my, my I, leg I here. just
0: heard part of
2: Elena's soul die. Yeah,
1: it was very sad.
2: <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, there is a hopeful moment in a way. I felt like, well, I think we were talking about this before we started to record the podcast, where... Or maybe we already talked about it in the podcast, where it always seems like the conspiracy theory is the subversive access to truth. And then once you have it, you're done. Mm -hmm. It's over. I now know, you know, I I believe the lie before. I can rest here now. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And I think that what this has certainly taught me is that mm, that's not always the case. That sometimes these lies are just as much in service of power, are just as much, even though... They might seem subversive to me in my particular subgroup.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: They are, I'm, I'm actually still being duped. And I'm still participating in somebody else's game for their own gain.
0: So, so keep looking. So, so what you're saying is that you can't rest comfortably anywhere. You have to continually question your own ideas. I think so. Can I tell you the problem with that? <laughs> that does not appeal yeah, to our inertia.
1: No, I <laughs> don't like to do that. And the internet allows us to to just confirm everything we think already. Oh yeah, that's such a huge problem. You can Google anything, any wacky idea, and you'll find some confirmation of it somewhere. Flat Earth. Yeah, and it's there, and you, you know, that's what you believe.
2: I'm so struck, though, by how powerful these ideas are to outlive us, and to outlive the people who started them, to outlive even the agencies, institutions, countries. I mean. We don't have a czarist Russia anymore, but we have the Protocols of Zion. Yeah. We don't even have a Soviet Union anymore. We have the yes. Protocols of Zion and, have, operation, yeah. and Operation infection, infection and whatever else. And maybe
0: JFK things. Right. Yeah, it's, it's extraordinary. We have to look at ourselves as collections of ideas. That's what we are. We are collections of ideas yeah. that have come to us from the outside. And we've got to spend a lot of time. if we want to, If we want to have good mental hygiene... We've got to spend a lot of time investigating our own ideas.
1: Yeah. It's exhausting. Work. This is oh an
2: intellectual boy. enema. That's...
1: That's not the idea we, we were doing before, but... That's... appropriate question
0: mark? I guess. Is that the end of the podcast? <laughs>